0: snuff production. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer and a host of The Good Oil, and thank you for listening. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the phrase, if you're new to the podcast, giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff, and the real stuff, and that's what we're going to try and do with this podcast. We bring you conversations with entrepreneurs, executives and experts, the people who know what's going on and the people who are making things happen. Now, today's guest is someone who is making things move, literally as well as figuratively, when it comes to transport. And we are talking to the general manager of Lime, Australia, New Zealand, Hugo Burt Morris. Hugo, welcome to The Good Oil. It's great to be here, Scott. Meta Lime, I, I'm going I'm to go back and start with a story. I was in Alexandria, Virginia in the US. And I want to say this is in, in the before times, pre-COVID. I don't know how many years ago it was now. Time has kind of gone a bit strange in the last few years. Uh, but my first experience with electric scooter was was hiring a similar one. I don't know if it was a Lime scooter or not. I can say I left it in good working order. So just in case it was, mate, I didn't, I didn't do any damage. But it was, a, it was a really interesting experience. And I have to say... I'm not going to say life-changing. I'm not going to say revolutionary, but the idea of being able to grab an electric bike or an electric scooter and go from point A to point B—just just quietly it was from a a pub uh, up to the hotel. I was I was sober. I'm not sure what the drink-driving laws were there, but just in case anyone's listening, uh, and uh, and it was and just left it where I finished it and finished the ride and went up to the hotel. And I thought that is just super super cool. And I use that story to introduce the concept. You'll do a much better job of it. But Lime is in the business of, and you'll have a, you'll have a better way to describe it, but electric bikes and electric scooters. And it really is, I, I'm a super, super fan of this concept and this idea because it really is giving everyone the opportunity to travel very, very differently. Now, before I talk anymore, I'm going to throw it to you because you are the expert Tell us what Lime is. What is the, what is the, not not so much the story, we'll get into that. But if you said, well, here's what we do, here's who we are, here's what is in it for consumers, for travelers, for commuters. What's Lime, mate? So uh,
1: Lime is what we call a micro mobility company. So we offer um, shared um, e-vehicles, so lightweight, I guess, utility vehicles. So from getting come from A to B, um, we offer e-bikes, e-scooters, e-mopeds, and, you know, hope to be um, in a range of other different vehicles in the future. Um, Lime began, uh, I guess, back in 2016, 2017, so you know, some time ago, but um, it's, it's come a very long way since what a new scooter looked like, I guess, five years ago, um, and to, to something that was kind of cheap and the idea that you would fold it and bring it on public transport and had a very, very short um, shelf life to now that's something <laughs> which is on the street and it's much more durable and you know, the lifetime could be up to five years and big batteries, etc. And so the whole industry's has um, come an exceptionally long way.
0: It's fascinating, mate. There's so much just in that answer alone. We will get to some of those things in a minute. But as you say, even just the speed of development of e-transport things, I'm going to call them in my technical terms, uh, which is exactly that story of just simply, I, I imagine to some degree, imagining in seven, 2017, only five short years ago, what might be possible. In 2022, let alone what might be possible in 2027, you're trying to build a business. It's the old line of you know building the plane while you're flying it. To some degree, the the ability, the the optionality that comes with technology. And scale has just continued to advance so quickly. I imagine half the time you feel like you're leading, the other half the time you're kind of trying to adapt to whatever else has become possible, just with with that sort of stuff. Um, before we get to the lime story specifically, let's do the Hugo Burt Morris story. Uh, you and I were chatting before we before we started recording that uh, uh, I'm I'm in Barrel in, in the Southern Highlands, New South Wales. You mentioned to me that you uh, you have been down this way a couple of times. You were a Sydney boy, now in Melbourne. Uh, how do you become from 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 uh, beginnings of of whatever, to, to the general manager of Australia New Zealand of Lime. What's the Hugo Burt Morris story? It's a, it's a good question and a non-linear
1: one. Um, <laughs> nice. I grew up in Sydney. I studied engineering and I also studied finance, uh, neither of which I really liked that much. Um, I joined Deliveroo. Um, I kind of liked doing everything, liked having a wide remit, um, You know, doing some modeling and doing some hands-on stuff and just general, I guess, bottoms-up problem solving of which um, I guess you're taught a lot of um, in engineering less so finance um and kind of developed this level of kind of networks and and marketplaces like three-sided marketplaces in the case of Deliveroo. and um I'm also I guess a lifelong cyclist I mean obviously in Melbourne uh, great cycling infrastructure makes it a lot easier but um you know I joined Lime about a year ago and and um was kind of looking to do something different but also wanted to stay in that similar marketplace network space and um you know, had, had ridden Lime overseas, had ridden Lime locally and, and knew the kind of the size of the, the um, industry. I, I think on top of this, um, you know, as everyone's fully aware, we're in, you know, effectively a climate crisis now. And so doing something that's a bit more meaningful um, than food delivery, I think, was, was quite important for me. And so I think um, Lime, you know, was at the intersection of all these things, which um, to me is a pretty, pretty ideal role.
0: It's interesting you mention Deliveroo, and talk as you talk about uh, the difference between Deliveroo and Lime, I'm reminded of the difference between. The current version of say Uber, for example, and what autonomous vehicles might bring us, which is driverless Uber, <laughs> in a way, and and to some degree, Lime and Deliveroo has a similar kind of dynamic there. Not, not in the sense that you gotta get food delivered on a, on, a, on an automatic scooter, but just that idea of kind of breaking apart or breaking further down the the component parts of the market. You know, with Deliveroo, you're getting a, a you know a, a transport and a driver to bring you something. With with Uber, you're getting again the transport and the driver. Line, you get the opportunity to do it yourself with what might come with automated vehicles, maybe Uber who does it or Tesla or somebody else. You get just that, that that very bare bones solution. You can kind of build it up yourself. You mentioned networks and you mentioned markets. And this is one that I think is really, really fascinating. You're You're very well placed to talk about it because investors over the past, I'm going to say 20 years now, but in the last 10 years in particular, have really cottoned on to the idea of these marketplace businesses, these network effects that um, uh, you know, the more on one side of the the market you have, the more attractive it is to the other side of the market, and then that makes it more attractive. So you know, more buyers means more sellers, more sellers means more buyers, and so on and so forth. It scales really quickly, and the value becomes really apparent not only in terms of the the value of uh, for for the buyer and the seller, but for the for the marketplace provider. In this case, Lime. The more you've got using the the marketplace, the more e-bikes e scooters you actually have around the place because they're going to be used more often i've, I've said before um that dis- incumbency is a wonderful advantage and disruption is really 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 hard until you hit a tipping point point. and once you cross that tipping point then incumbency becomes this millstone around your neck and the inability to move quickly and actually respond to change and disruption becomes this wonderful motivating momentum force that simply continues to push forward almost under its own steam at some point Maybe you can take us through the development. So Lime is from, started in twenty seventeen. Uh, maybe you can talk us a little bit through the company's history internationally, and then maybe the the moves you guys have made in Australia and New Zealand so far.
1: So as mentioned, Lime has been around since about two thousand seventeen, and I think you know the vision at the time was um, there were uh, a range of kind of lightweight utility vehicles, largely e scooters and e bikes, kind of coming onto the market, and and you can you know acquire them or, or manufacture them very cheaply in China, and so. Um, the, the two founders um, at the time were both chinese chinese american were like oh this seems um, kind of reasonable let's import a whole bunch put them on the street kind of see what happens and um kind of grew from there and obviously went through a whole range of iterations of um, vehicle um I, I believe it actually originally started with uh, like pedal bikes uh, at the time and then you know naturally um, as battery as battery technology progressed um, it kind of expanded but i think that the last three years have being Pretty interesting. Um, you know, one there's obviously been a huge amount of global expansion, going to Europe, going to um, you know various parts of Asia, of course, going to Australia and New Zealand. Um, you know, number two there's there's been COVID, right? Um, which you know some cities very well said, hey, we don't want anything on the ground that you know possibly spreads COVID. Um, but then now three, obviously, we're kind of coming out of this um, you know quote unquote kind of COVID COVID era, and people are moving around more, people are going back to local businesses, and people want um, you know, open air, uh, you know, clean ways of getting around. They don't want to sit on, you know, public transport and and um, and you know, have someone coughing them. In fact, I was in Sydney, Sydney last week, and you know, I was walking through the CBD. Back, you know, it's kind of back to its kind of self. And I was just like, oh, if it's at five or six p.m., I do not want to be sitting a bus home. Uh, you know, <laughs> this, is, this does not, this is not really appeal to me, and, and, and that's the exact use case yeah. people are yeah. looking for. Um so the the company's uh grown you know enormously in the last few years um you know got hit pretty hard by covid which which you know as many industries um have but i think since then in the last kind of year um kind of under new leadership um with um new executive team as well um have been pushing very hard into new markets and um the unit economics as well have improved dramatically so i think i'm very bullish about the industry um but you know the future is yet to be
0: seen. There's so much uh, in getting that answer. I, I'm going to try and draw all this all together at some point. If I do a half a decent job as an interviewer here, um, you, you talk about you talk about the COVID impact of people not wanting to be stuck in a in a in a single you know metal box with with tens and tens of other people. Um, there's the environmental impact you talked about climate change earlier and one of the key challenges of our time. Uh, electrification is one of the key solutions to that problem. Uh, and then you talk about the industry as a whole, and I think that's you know we went through, uh, and I'll, I'll throw it straight at you because you, you've you've heard the criticism, and seen it before, the bikes in trees type stuff. The you know it's not mine. Who cares where I leave it? As long as I tap off and I can I can use it. Concerns about you know uh, these sort of vehicles being left littering sidewalks and footpaths and streets and stuff around the world. Um. So I just I'll just ask you straight up, mate. The this challenge for the industry seems to be a combination Well, sorry for Lime seems to be a combination of the proliferation of competitors and the public and government response. Because uh, i got to say, this makes the most obvious logical sense to me as a solution. The idea of the ride-sharing idea or the vehicle sharing, if you like, in a lime sense, just makes, you know, the idea of breaking down the cost of I don't want to buy an electric bike, I want to be able to get one wherever I am, whenever I want and leave it wherever I want for the next person to use and so on. How does how do you navigate as, a, as an entity, both globally and in Australia, that journey of being a responsible citizen on one hand from a climate perspective, which is relatively easy for you guys. On the other hand, overcoming some of that inertia from governments on bike lanes and using them on the street and leaving them around, it kind of requires a behavioral change and a cultural shift from the rest of us, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I guess I'll firstly speak about that kind of broader context of bikes and trees and the air, et cetera, which many, many cities um, in Australia, and of course, globally faced. And the industry since then has progressed immensely. Um, I think what Companies did, and and Lime was was certainly um, one included here. Uh, back in the back in the early stage of, the, of of the industry, was they launched very aggressively. They went into cities, they went to countries, and they put bikes on the ground. They didn't speak to regulators, they didn't speak to the community, they didn't speak to disability groups, and they just put a whole bunch of vehicles there. They were kind of uh, fairly silent um, in it, and you know people naturally abused them. And they didn't do anything, and eventually got kind of chucked out of markets. And this um, initial a uh, launch really left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth, and and this was, you know, frankly a big, um, a big reason why people didn't want e-scooters in Melbourne, of which we've, um, you know, tried to navigate through. Um, there's probably two two parts, like you mentioned, obviously competition and and, and regulation. I think on the regulation side, um, the there's this you know fallacy that you kind of put vehicles on the ground and that's kind of it. Um, there is an immense immense amount of pre-work that goes into launching any market. Um, <laughs> Of course, it's not just, you know, the, the operational side, but it's like speaking to regulators, speaking to the state government, speaking to disability groups, speaking to the community, like lots of conversations, lots of meetings, understanding what they want, how they want to structure it, what are the parameters they want around it, etc. And um, all the trials we have running or, or all the you know, programs we have running um, in Australia and New Zealand um, have a ton of this, have all this stakeholder interaction that kind of no one no one really sees. Um, I guess on the competition side, yeah, there's, there's certainly growing competition. But I think, you know, my, my two beliefs are that, one, if you have the best availability, which is you have the m- most scooters or you have them the closest to where people want them, you will um, be number one. And two, if you're the most reliable, you'll be number one. Um, obviously, these two things that are also in parallel with, with food delivery as well, have most restaurants, you know, delivering the fastest time and reliability, sorry, reliability. It, um, it makes a lot of sense.
0: It's a land grab, right, where you can't afford just to do a land grab for all the reasons you talked about there. You can't be too aggressive and, and get people offside. On the flip side, you and your competitors, it's almost it's almost. like I, I'm, in my head I've got this picture, of and this is a, a terrible example when we talk about e-scooters and, um, and and climate change. But it's the V8s, have the speed limit, once they enter pit lane, right? It's like you're driving as fast as you can but not faster than you're able to while your competitors are all trying to do exactly the same thing. Um, maybe the Olympic walk is a better way to put it, right? You, you, you can't run. You're allowed to run, but you've got to walk as fast as you can and try and find that right spot between being left behind by not being fast enough with your rollout but not so fast as to put people offside and you've got to overcome the status quo I I am not I have no doubt that if if we never had cars and someone said, do you want these cars or do you want these e-scooters in this format? We'd all choose that. But the, the incumbency I mentioned before, when it comes to just the modes of transport and the things we're used to, the inconvenience we're happy with, you know, cars can knock us over on the street, but we're kind of used to that, but don't leave a, don't leave a scooter on the, on the footpath in case someone trips over it. Not an unreasonable question, but a very, very different thing. It must drive you mad sometimes or, or, or have you just gone, made, your, made your peace with it?
1: Uh, it's tricky. It, it's tricky. I think... Um now, coming back to working with regulators and the community, like ultimately we want bike lanes and every road, and you want you know dedicated infrastructure, etc. But like, as many people know, building infrastructure and bike lanes and you know um, whatever it may be is very challenging, and it takes a long time and requires a lot of money. And um, this is not something that happens overnight. Um, though you know, over time, I hope to see more um, e-bikes and e-scooters and e-mobeds and you know other electronic vehicles on the street, and and hopefully the you know there is a critical mass that. Um, drives enough change in the infrastructure to kind of help support this. But uh, unfortunately, it won't happen overnight.
0: Can I ask you about the business model? We talk about network effects and we when we think about network effects, we think about tech companies most particularly. Lime is, is absolutely a tech company. It's also absolutely, I, I guess, and feel free to correct me or, or give me a different perspective. It's absolutely a capital heavy transport management business with lots and lots and lots of moving parts, literally and figuratively. Um, to that sense, maybe more like Tesla than Uber, um, you know, you're not just running the marketplace, you're actually providing one side of the market at the same time, potentially. And that operation, I'm going to assume, given those given those challenges with governments, but also just literally the making sure they're charged, making sure they're working, making sure everything's the way it should be, as you said, that kind of operational side that you think about Lime, the e-scooter company, and everyone's going to think about the app. Uh, what what's your day week month like when it comes to you know trying to build the business, trying to operationally deliver on the sorts of commitments you've made uh, trying to keep the piece um, yeah you know, trying to build this tech business at the same time as just keeping scooters and bikes on literally figuratively on the road or on the footpath depending on the case um, you know keeping keeping the wheels turning. I, I think on the comment of, of being tech company
1: is is maybe not fully correct. I, I think we're still a transport company that's that's used. Technology as effectively our crowbar,
0: and you, you know you get fired for that, mate. If you're on the ASX, you have to say <laughs> you're a tech company. that happens to have scooters. You can't, you can't, you can't acknowledge you're a transport business. That'd be, um, that'd be debt to the share price.
1: <laughs> well, luckily, I'm not on the ASX. Uh, well, you know, just just like Netflix, right? Netflix is unfortunately still a media company that's just used technology very well. Correct. But no,
0: you, you're dead it, right. I'm just, I'm just saying you would, you wouldn't, you get fired at most <laughs> in investor relations departments around the ASX these days. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. I think that there's like two large parts of our company. One is operations, which go figure you have a range of vehicles everywhere all over some city of which you have to put in the right place so that people ride them and um, you know, uh, efficiently move them around so that they don't cost you too much money. So kind of fairly straightforward on that side. On the second side is, is government relations. You know, I've already spoken about this, but also like to get into market, there's a lot of um, conversations with the city officials, community, et cetera, um, to make it work really smoothly. Um, my day job probably over-indexes on the operational side and that like will span across um, uh, government relations very heavily because um, ultimately um, we want to make sure we're working very close to the cities we work in and um, with the communities we, we uh, work in as well.
0: You talked about pivoting earlier and answer an earlier question and I'm curious and I'll, I guess you reflect on delivery a little bit in terms of your experience and also of course online. Uh, you talked about the the line business same with this fold up you know, taking with you bikes. Um, the pivot is the most famous of venture capital or entrepreneurial, uh, you know, journeys. Very few companies end up being the businesses they started with. Um, uh, the, the the speed and the um the opportunity to see the need to pivot and to pivot successfully is often, I think, what separates the the, the also rans and the coulda-beens from the businesses that really do make a huge difference. There's so many of those. Atlassian, most famously, was supposed to be a video game business and uh, and built a, a you know a workplace communications tool to help with that, and that became the main product of the company. When it comes to thinking through a, a, a core business model, and, and particularly in these early days, Deliveroo line both both young businesses trying to find their way. I'm curious how you think about the value proposition that you're building, and 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 when you or when or what you take with you, and, and think about that pivot in particular, where they said, "Okay, well, this is kind of the broad idea we've got. We've got to work out the right way to solve it." You mentioned other vehicles. You mentioned the the challenge with government and others. How do you how do you keep can you keep kind of true to the mission of the business and the the operational kind of strategy of the business, but also flexible enough to make changes as needed and just just kind of work out when is it when is it a flight of fancy and when is it necessary because life of entrepreneurship is literally spending your entire life you know with other people telling you it can't be done until it finally is done that everyone says it like i said all along how do you how do you separate that when you're thinking through the challenges of what's a showstopper and what's just something to another yet another obstacle to be overcome
1: Mm, i think this is a good question overall as a business Like Lime's mission is to be the kind of mobility provider that is electric, shared, and kind of carbon-free, right? Which is a very, you know, it's abstract in nature, but that can mean very many things. Right, right. Um, But our business is hyperlocal. And, you know, what matters to someone in Sydney, if that may be Manly or Campbelltown or Barrel, is very different to someone that, you know, sits in Madrid or sits in Berlin or or whatever it may be. And so... um, as a business, we need to think about this, and therefore, what matters—you um, know—what we have to build for, for again, Sydney or Barrel or whatever it may be—differs from that of Madrid. Um, in the case of of Australia, largely this is, um, you know, things that they know. So e-scooters and e-bikes, which all, e-scooters less so, but e-bikes is a you know familiar a thing, but. Um, this might be in the future something that's some hybrid obviously everyone knows what a scooter is everyone knows what a bike is but you know if you built a vehicle from the ground up that got people from A to B would it be either of these things like you know that um, you know maybe this has got more storage maybe it's got a big battery maybe it doesn't have pedals like maybe it's got a motor who knows um, and I think that's that's um, what we're thinking about at Lime is, is like what, what comes next once you got, you know, e bikes and, and, and e scooters as well, and sort like what comes next?
0: And how does that play out? If you think about the market dynamics and, and think about uh, there's, there's the you we know, look looking looking with subscription television right now right we saw we saw pay tv come and aggregate everything and you, you had one fee you get everything in Foxtel had way back in the day you're probably too young but trust me uh, way back in the day you get everything all in one package and then it all got broken up and there was a Netflix and there's a stand and there's the KO sports and there's the binge then there's the and then it's it actually aggregated again uh, there's now going to be ads potentially on Netflix and the There'll be someone who offers to these set-top boxes, kind of re-aggregate some of these things, and so that process of breaking down and building back up is one that really has the cycles of capitalism, as I'm sure you know, um, ha- have been something that's been with us for as long as people have been thinking about business models and the way to create value by, you know, mergers and acquisitions, same thing, spin-offs and 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 big buys. It happens the same way. If you were thinking about Lime, is it is it a is it a transport company? Is it is it a is it a wheels on the ground business? Or is it a marketplace business that has to have wheels on the ground to make it work? And I know you see you a tech business, and I uh, I think that's right. But if you think about the business as a, at its core, um, is it the customer relationship? Is it is it the app? Is it the marketplace? Or is it uh, is it the the physical vehicles uh, that you guys see as as what you actually do?
1: Mm, I think it's a good question. I think into the future we're more likely to bundle rather than unbundle, if that makes sense. So okay. we're more likely to be the. Yeah the the kind of Foxtel rather than the uh, individual Netflix, <laughs> maybe. Um, I, yeah. I I see a future where um, you know you need to get from A to B or or you need to get to work or you know, whatever it may be you know, want to commute, and you come to Lime to, to get there. And maybe that is getting a e-scooter or e-bike as traditionally, but maybe it's an e-moped. Maybe it's accessing public transport. Um, you know, U- Uber does a not too dissimilar job with this at the moment, right? Where you can kind of find your way from A to B using a range of transport options. Um, but this is a, a kind of to my previous point, this varies per where you are. You know, some some jurisdictions where we would still love to operate, maybe regulation stops us from doing that. Maybe we have to unbundle the scooter business, or maybe we have to not have any tra- public transport on us. But I think the the view is, you know, to be the to be the preferred um, transport operator.
0: And in that case, mate, does 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 do EVs, does automated uh, you know uh, automated vehicles? Are they the competition in, in in some future? Obviously, very different modes of transport. But at some point, you, you park a car, you charge it up. You park a bike and you guys go and charge it up or someone else charges it up. Uh, and then you're choosing from the available options. Uh, I guess automation at some level, autonomous driving, kind of blurs the lines pretty quickly between being a passenger and being a, I'll say driver, but driver, rider, whatever you want to call it. Um, as you say, getting that mode of transport, the, the idea of an Align a versus an Uber versus a Tesla versus a you know, uh, Google Maps, frankly, and, and, you know, which options should I choose, that blows pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I, I guess in some way we're competing with them, um, you know, if, you, if you're trading off using one or the other. Um, I think there's there's probably two two main uh, ones to consider. One is, you know, someone using, uh, owning their own e-scooter or owning their own e-vehicle, of which um, I get it. Like, if you commute every day, then, like, yeah, by all means, buy one. But there are, you know, certain use cases which kind of separate those. Um, you know, you might want to go into the city on a night out, and you don't have to like try and lock up your scooter, or you know, there's there's a there's a range of examples. Then shared makes a lot of sense. Um, obviously, private ownership does as well. But uh, for autonomous vehicles, uh, this one's a tricky one. Um, I think it's something the business um, more broadly has looked into, but there's aren't. It's it's a harder use case to um, to try and sell.
0: Mm. I'm curious as to the the COVID experience. You talked about some cities, some people, all that kind of stuff i got to figure if you're what was then obviously probably a three-ish year startup and then CBDs effectively become ghost towns close enough to overnight in most of the rest of the world. Uh, Maybe being based in the US, maybe there's less of that maybe than than the average city around Europe or or Asia or Australia. Um, And I know you've only been there for a year, so you can't reflect on your own own personal experience. But I wonder if you could, if there are any war stories about about kind of that that journey. I, I imagine for a little while there's a sense of Guys, where uh, I don't know how much of your your financials are, are available or, or speculated or reported on, but in theory, you know, while you're growing, guys, we're burning some cash here. There's bikes, there's scooters sitting around. No one's using them. Uh, they're littering up the place, as you say. There had to be some dark nights of the soul, I imagine, for a few people at Lyme as you looked around and thought. I don't know how long this goes or how quickly things return, but, or even what the market looks like. And as you say, maybe in the fullness of time, it becomes a, a positive because people look for other transport options. But I got to think in 2020, there were some nervous looks around the board table.
1: Yeah, I think 2020 was a pretty brutal year for many industries and and we were no um, uh, no exclusion. Um, and this was kind of before my time. So I guess I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but um, yeah, I think Blime had to make a lot of tough decisions in 2020. Um, you know, they, they, had to lay off a lot of the team. They made a lot of big leadership changes as well. They got like to rethink their business model. Um, whole cities said get the vehicles off the streets, including Brisbane. Brisbane actually said take everything off the streets because it was such a, you know, COVID risk. Of course, you know, Queensland are very <laughs> um you know, conservative in that way. Um, but I think since since then, um things have really changed. Um even, you know, in 2021, there was still kind of this and out of lockdowns but we didn't see a huge dip in trips you know we weren't asked to take vehicles on the streets but people still want to move around people still want to see their friends if that's for a socially distance coffee or um, you know go and get to work etc people still there's yeah. still use yep. cases for it and I think uh, during that period more so kind of as mentioned people don't want to sit on public transport they don't want to sit in a train or tram or whatever it may be they want to be in the open air um, and now with tourism back now with interstate travel international travel back um, there are immense, immense tailwinds that um, are really pushing the business forward. Um, we're very much up over the kind of 2019 peak um, on, um, I guess, growth as a company. So I think, I think 2022 and and you know more broadly into the future is still looking very positive.
0: The growth story, it's it's a really difficult one. I, I'm curious as to how Lime thinks about customer acquisition. So startup businesses, growth businesses, we, again, I don't know what you guys talk about internally, but from, from a tech lens, the idea of customer acquisition cost and lifetime value of a customer is, is that, again, something that come from tech, but really applies to anything, right? If it costs you 100 bucks to get someone uh, to, to join your business, to use your product, you want to hope they buy more than $100 worth of stuff, and in theory, more than enough to cover your costs. And so there, there is there's that concept generally. How much of lime? is a build-it-and-they-will-come model. You put them in the streets, they're everywhere. I don't mean literally everywhere, but you know, you can see them. There is some word of mouth or just proximity. You know, It's almost like these manual billboards that happen to be around moving billboards, right? Because you see another one, then you see another one, and they're kind of there. Versus going out and actually attracting customers and thinking about how that story goes. How does Lime think about customer acquisition and the sort of payback at this part of its life cycle?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question because I came in, I think, to the business thinking there was a lot of this, and frankly, there is not very much. It's very much a kind of build it and they will come. You know, you have, if you have a thousand scooters or bikes in a city, that's a thousand kind of billboards that are always moving around, and so y- you see it. And I think um, I use the parallel um, to, I guess, food delivery or, or Deliveroo, where, um, you know, these companies spend millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in customer acquisition and coupons and vouchers, which I think everyone's familiar with, um, where Lime's, you know, portion of this as a part of their P&L is, is very, very small, Um of course, it's not something we don't think about. It's it's um, the the kind of team is growing, and, and I think a lot of the industry is kind of wandering through what does it look like to acquire a customer, or what does it look like to get an ROI on a customer, um, because you know ultimately still if you you, know, if you want to ride an e-bike or e-scooter and you have two in front of you, a competitor or or um you know your own scooter, then there could be a range of factors that drive it. Maybe it's loyalty, maybe it's it, you had a voucher. But if you only have a Lime scooter in front of you and you don't have a competitor, you're
0: probably riding a Lime scooter. How does that play out competitively? Because I, in terms of in terms of switching costs for the customer, uh, it's a little bit like Uber and the others. To some degree, Uber's captured a whole lot of mind share and a whole lot of vehicle share. I suppose I don't know the up to date numbers, but there are there's you know uh, probably five or six different options in most major markets. Maybe it's three or four in most cities in Australia. Um, if I've got a, a mobile phone in front of me and a scooter in front of me. The only, the only, you know, the only obstacle for me changing is just having that app on my phone. If I've got one app, two apps, three apps, five apps, seven apps, I can use whichever scooters in front of me and then make that work. I don't imagine that's a terrible thing. You, you know, it, to some degree, it's a growing the pie story. If you can get half Australians using e-scooters, you're probably not going to. Yeah, you're going to do very, very nicely. Thanks very much. But at some level, also, you want to kind of say, hey choose the line one either look for a line one or choose the line one or whatever how do, how do you differentiate yourself in a market where differentiation isn't obvious at least at a, at a first order level
1: mm, it, i think it's tough firstly and um the industry much like any others kind of diverges and reconverges uh, as this kind of commodity where like there's uh, two different companies are substitutes and then kind of they diverge to be less substitutes because a range of reasons um I think um, coming back to that, my previous comments on reliability, uh, so reliability and availability. You have more scooters, then people will naturally pick you, and they'll be like, "Oh, I'm just going to get a blind because that's easier." Or, and or, or reliability, where like your scooters have uh, always—they're always charged, always a helmet on them, they're always working, and so people don't even think about going to the competition because they just pick yours because it's the one that's always going to be working. And a good, a good comparable is Amazon, right? People just go to Amazon because they know want the cheapest price. They're, they don't even they don't even look anywhere else and, and that's a view on, you know I think will drive uh, loyalty into the future but it takes a super long time like super long time
0: can I ask about um, about that back to the operations you can talk about your, your, your operational time uh, the one downside I guess of, of an e-scooter versus a bike a literal manual push bike is that they have to be charged and available and with enough range and that kind of stuff Um, I don't imagine this is proprietary. If it is, of course, feel free to say no, thank you. But um, I'm just curious as to the the structure of this. I mean, what what does a company like Lime or Lime in particular have to do to deliver on that sort of promise? The logistics must be phenomenal, I assume.
1: S- to understand the question, as in, like, how do operations work?
0: Uh, yeah, how do you make sure the bikes are where you want them, that they're, they're or in the scooters, they're, they're charged and ready to go? Um, I mean, it, it, on one hand, it's not hard; it's just, it's just people and and a, and, a, and a good spreadsheet or some mapping software. But but what is what you know? Just just so people can have a look at the inside of what do you guys have to do on a again? It doesn't need to be daily, weekly, monthly, whatever, but on a regular basis to kind of keep the fleet tip top and ready to go.
1: Sure. Um, so there's there's I guess two sides to it: um, supply and demand. Go figure. Um, so demand, there is, you know, a range of people out there who want vehicles, and we look at app opens and a whole range of other kind of indicators. And um, we're this hybrid tech company, and so there's a bunch of algorithms and kind of um, problem solving that helps us put these in the areas where we think that people are. Um, and then we have the supply side. like So we have a, a very large team. We have over 100 people in, in Melbourne alone who um, move the vehicles around, who charge them, who retrieve them back to the warehouse, and of course, you know, who fix them in the warehouse and... and um, ensure they're up into tip-top shape, and this team operates actually 24/7. And they use this kind of algorithm to guide them where we should place uh, repaired vehicles, uh, you know, where vehicles are that require charging as well. Um, and um, you know this will will continually be optimised uh, over time.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Take take me take me five years into the future. L- let's look at Lime the the business um, again. Don't I'm not asking for anything proprietary in terms of what you guys are already planning, but. Um, I've, uh, to get to, which it's been what we talked about before, to get to where you guys need to go. What needs to happen? What needs to change? What needs to be successful? If you kind of process it, look, okay, it's number one, it's just all about consumer demand. And then that'll drive our government conversation. That'll drive, or is it literally, you know what, nothing happens until the government's on board. So it's all about government, and then it's about building a brand, then it's about putting scooters out, then it's about getting customers. If you guys were to kind of rank, force rank, the 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 focus points between now and say 2027 2028 and say to be successful at that point we need to do these things what's at the top of the what's at the top of the kind of keep you up at night or the the must-do list um that that kind of paves the way for the others to take place
1: i think one is um is working with the cities and regulators like if frankly if you don't work with the city you, you can't be there and and that's that's kind of game over and so um, you know, this year we're spending a lot of time and a lot of my time is, is just being on the phone with people and going visiting cities and visiting various stakeholders and community groups because to find out what they want and, um, you know, every, every city wants something different. I think number two for the business more broadly is, is developing really great hardware and software, which cities want. So this might be cameras on scooters to detect, is it on a footpath or is it on a shared bike lane? And, and there might be certain regulations in that city that prevent one or, or permit one. Um, and you know this might be accident detection, et cetera, or this might be lowering the cost of, of the vehicle over time. Um, those are probably the top two. Um, you know we don't we don't think about competition um, kind of ad nauseum, but it's certainly something that you know we think about every now and again.
0: All right, let's let's go to our um, our favourite questions just as we as we come to, to finish off Hugo. Um, I, I don't know if uh, our producers worded you up, but if not, uh, they're not they're not overly taxing, not overly surprising. But uh, it's always interesting to get the the insight from someone who's in the space and, and doing things. So I'm just going to go. We, we've talked about Netflix, we've talked about Foxtel and others. Um, just give us insight into your downtime. What are you reading, streaming, watching, listening to at the moment? Hugo. Ooh. I don't have much downtime. <laughs> <laughs> you send this link to the boss, aren't you? Yeah, that's I don't have time for TV, boss. I'm, I'm really busy. I'm, I'm working hard here. That's, too, uh, that's true. That's Hypo- Hypothetically, assuming, you, assuming you're up at three AM on a, on a Sunday morning, what are you? What are you? What are you switching on to?
1: Yeah, I think a good question. I, I read a range of. Um, I guess there's probably two two ways to consume a lot of things. I think one is um, podcasts. Um, you know, we, we, we um, mentioned a few earlier. I think one I listen to a lot is is, is acquired. Uh, the kind of long form podcasts about the kind of bottoms up how a company got to where it, where it wants to be and I find this really fascinating because it kind of goes into a lot of detail how everything is connected um, I think um, uh, there's probably a range of blogs as well that I kind of read um, but kind of a bit of everything Netflix every now and again but
0: it's, <laughs> it's too much
1: of a time sink for me I just sit on the, TV, sit on the couch and do nothing unfortunately
0: I I got in the House of Cards once, and uh, I, I end up like up at two in the morning saying, "I just watch one more episode." I just watch one more. I had to stop. So I, I've I have so many. I've got suits and billions and Ted Lasso all on my list of things I actually at some point will get to, but I can't bring myself to start because I know once I do, it'll be just an absolute absolute debacle. Um, speaking of which, mate, this is just one off the off the cuff, but off off to the side. If people want to find out more about what's happening in the space you guys are in right now, what are the best sort of places they can read up more about e-mobility and, and, and shared transport? Are there kind of particular resources that are that I kind of must go to or if you wanna if you wanna kind of you know learn a bit more about it, where where should people go? Hmm. Other than the line website, of course.
1: Yes, of course. <laughs> um, what I think is a really good one is Micromobility Industries. Um, it's a um, it's a kind of organization um, out of the states. Um, there's kind of two two hosts um, um, Oliver Bruce who's based in uh, Wellington New Zealand and and Horace Deju, who's um, based in Sanfran I think um, really fascinating they have a podcast they've got a, a newsletter they host some conferences as well they cover everything from shared micromobility to private to uh, autonomous vehicles etc fascinating lots of detail very That's in cool. depth um, yeah. I think honestly great great read and I recommend it
0: one of the best things about the internet is the ability to have such specialization, right? Like, imagine a pre-internet. Like, again, you remember in, in the pre-internet age, you know, there, there would be a newspaper or you know, for, for just, like for just that, someone, two blokes who go, you know what? Let's have a micro mobility website, blog, and and podcast. You wouldn't have it. So it's so cool that we can do some of these things. Um, you're obviously at the wave or trying to trying to create the wave or ride the wave of the move towards micro mobility. Other than that, what trends are you watching? Whether it's in your job, in business, uh, across the economy, society, the world, what, what are you kind of looking at? Going, you know that's going to be a thing or've got to watch that in case it's a thing what are some of the things you kind of got your got your eye on at the moment
1: uh me personally or for lime oh both let's like, one, let's give one of each for fun if you've got them yeah I think um, for I'll start with lime I think lime is the one that we are watching though that's not particularly you know on the on the coal face of or, you know technology but I think just our hardware and, and competitions hardware I think I mentioned uh, cameras as an example where this is quite an interesting one where it's 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 you know not super challenging but It's challenging to put it on, you know, five hundred thousand scooters and have it work reliably and work in every city. And so, though it could be very well real differentiator um, between whether you operate somewhere or whether you don't operate somewhere. Um, On the personal side, I'm actually not quite sure. I wish I had a good answer for this, but I, I
0: think- <laughs> no, it's mate. You're, you're so busy with work, as you as you mentioned, you've got nothing, no time other than to think about Lime, which I'm I'm sure I'm sure shareholders and, and, and bosses appreciate. That's a, that's always a good one. Um, you've you've been a while in, uh, I'll call it the same industry. I know I know it's probably offensive to both Deliveroo and and Lime, uh, cause they both probably see themselves as different. But this this move towards, I'll say fractionalizing services in such a way that you can break this down. The, the concept of sharing, whether it's a, an e-scooter or the opportunity to have delivery done across multiple restaurants to multiple places. So th- this kind of broad area, you've probably got a better way to describe that um, conf- confluence than I do. But what advice would you give someone who's interested in moving into this space, whether it's entrepreneurship in general or or this area in particular? Um, obviously, lots of challenges, lots of opportunity, exciting place. I'm sure you're loving what you're doing. You're supposed to say, look, I want to come and work for you or in a, in a place like yours. What, what advice would you give them I think one is, is just read a lot like
1: do a lot of research um, you know fairly obvious answer but I think this is this is um, you know understand how the economics work um, you know read up on the industry like that kind of podcast or blog I kind of mentioned earlier um, understand how it works understand the players and and like what what matters and what doesn't matter um, I think that's that will give you a pretty good view of, of how it like works oh, ultimately the the industry and, and business mechanics um, I think number two is is go speak to us. Like, send me a message on LinkedIn or or, or, send, or send my team message. <laughs> like I, I highly recommend it. We, we love to chat. Um, and I think, you know, this is um, probably the two main ways, I think, to, to crack into any industry.
0: Beautiful. Mate, my last one. You can't be an entrepreneur. You can't be working in a growth industry unless you're an optimist. Uh, you kind of need that. It's part of, part of the DNA. If you, if you didn't think this was going to get better, you wouldn't bother, I don't imagine. Uh, I'm an optimist by nature. I'm pretty sure you are too. What, what's something or a few things you're optimistic about, Hugo? Whoa.
1: I am generally a pessimist. So. I Are mean, you really?
0: <laughs> How can you working in a so, growth business and be a pessimist? How does that work?
1: Uh, you're always going to find the way things won't go right. Uh, but yes, <laughs> that's, that's, not, a good a bad, that's
0: uh, not a bad way to solve the problem. Actually, I like that.
1: <laughs> uh, you're always going to find you got to yeah, yeah. find the errors and the things where, where things go right. Um, <laughs> what am I optimistic about? I think I'm generally optimistic about. Um, I'm not going to generalise say the future, but I think the people who will be leading the future. Uh, I think I'm, you know, lucky enough to 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 meet a lot of frankly brilliant people and um people who care deeply about the climate and care deeply about um, you know, political stability and you know, a whole, whole range of things, right? Um and this this fills me a lot of hope. Um and, and I'm sure there may have been a lot of people like this back forty years ago, um, when they were a bit younger, but I think um, there's a lot of amazing companies being, being um, developed. There's a lot of amazing people out there and I'm, I feel pretty bullish about who may be leading the future.
0: I love it. Mate, before we finish off, how can people stay in touch with you or with Lime? How can they kind of get what you guys are doing? Obviously, the website li.me is the Lime website. I think probably the coolest website I've seen. The other like the two two characters and the dot, the two characters. That's, that's actually really, really cool. I'm sure there are others out there like that, but li.me was pretty good. I have to say, the first time I saw it, I thought, well, that can't be right. It must be a short code. Then I realized it's literally a website, which is brilliant. Love that. How else can they stay in touch with Hugo Burt Morris or with Lime?
1: I I generally try to reduce my social media but LinkedIn I'm on (laughs) pretty 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 frequently Um, so either follow me on LinkedIn or or if we've met then then definitely um, add me as a as me a friend but I think LinkedIn is probably the one at the moment
0: Very good. Hugo, I really appreciate your time, mate. I've learned a whole lot more about what I'm now calling micro mobility. You've given me the phrase that I should have used at the beginning, so thank you for at least doing that, mate. But more importantly, thank you for sharing some of your journey, your expertise and insight into the business that is Lime and to what we both hope, I think, is a very exciting future for transport, climate and all the things that, uh, that Lime is doing out there. Thank you so much, Scott. It's great to be here. This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden and imaged by Link Kelly. Listener.